0: Are you looking for truth from God's word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Clarity Christian College, formerly known as Florida Bible College. Listen now as Stan makes it clear.
1: It's interesting if we remember that because he was there on the cross, he did all of that so we could be a part of his forever family. That he was not only there, but he is right here this morning. And I'm counting on the Lord to help me give this message in a way that would scratch everyone where they spiritually itch so that they could go on. And so I want you to lean on the fact that the Lord is right here and that he not only will help me to deliver this, but as important as that is, he will help all of us to understand his word today. But today I'm beginning a new series. We started last week preparing our hearts through that special communion service And this series is going to be really kind of an emphasis for the rest of the year. And if you recall, it goes like this. Our intimacy with the Lord will fuel our outreach for the Lord. And as I've been going through Scripture, knowing very confidently that that is the emphasis God wants us to have for this year, this decade, and probably will be the fabric paradigm of our church I really believe God has given me some unique insights from His Word. No, not special messages that are outside of His Word, but insight from His Word. And so today we're going to talk a little bit about the intimacy with God. Now before I launch into our little exposition from Psalm 27, I'd like to speak to a group here in this church. It's not going to be one particular ethnic group. It not necessarily will be a particular age group, but it will be a particular gender. For a moment I'd like to speak to the men. Because when you heard a moment ago that we're going to talk about intimacy with the Lord, and today our message is on intimacy with God, that often guys will basically zone out. And when I say that, it's because I'm a man as well. You know, God has wired us to do a lot of different things. Yes, to be careful and compassionate and tender. But often, though, we really resonate with two areas of our life. One is to become a protector, And so we're called to be a warrior, to protect our families. And if you go back in time, it would be against any kind of enemies that would come in to do harm to us or to the things that would provide for our family. And so we would then see ourselves as protectors. And in a certain sense, we want to protect our family today. And so when you tend to wear the protective garment on you, you aren't quite as intimate and you live that way to protect and to be task-oriented, to make sure that things are taken care of. And so we lose a little bit of that edge of intimacy. The second area for men, we men also happen to be providers. Now I know you might think that you're married to a guy who's a low life and he's lazy, but in reality men are going to be providers. And however they might provide for the family. And to be a provider, often, whatever it might be, it'll be task oriented. Yes, they might be in sales and so they're dealing with people, but in reality they're a task. They're dealing with service and products and things like this. So they're task oriented. So, for however it is, men tend to begin rolling in the direction of being more providers and protectors and not quite as intimate. Now, if I can speak to the young kids in here, particularly to the younger boys, and you guys might lean into this for a moment. I know that at times when you're a little kid growing up, a little boy, we certainly enjoy crawling up perhaps even into our mother's lap and to hold on to her. And when we fall at a particular age and nobody can see, we like to run to mom and cry. And, and mom is often very quick there to give the right word and help us. And so as a little child, we begin with that degree of intimacy. But for whatever happens in life and the sociological issues of life, there's a threshold where guys become less and less intimate and far more task-oriented, far harder, more protective. They put up a guard-all shield around themselves, and that is pretty much how they are the rest of their lives. Those who have done counseling, particularly Christian counseling, you'll even hear people come in with marital issues, and often it is where the wife will say, my husband just doesn't uh, relate to me, we, we just can't become intimate, and the husband is saying, yes, I can become intimate, I usually like to do that about three times a week, and that's the end of their intimacy, and I don't mean to be graphic, so I know you know what I'm saying, and so they define intimacy a whole lot differently. And so as I go through this series, I know that Satan would like to pull our men away from engaging in this material, in this truth, because we do have this shield around us. I too am now approaching an older age, so I've had a, a much older dad that was reared in a generation, and his even ethnic group was really rough and tough, and he became a, a building contractor in the painting industry, and so he was rough and tough and hard to diaper. I, do, I don't really remember my dad saying, I love you. I can, I can remember my dad hugging me, when I hugged him first. I can remember him saying, I do too, when I'd say, I love you, to him. But I don't remember that coming back from my dad. That's not a dissing on my dad. It's that generational thing. And some of you are tracking with me right now. But what I'd like you to know, men, that even though we're going to talk about intimacy, I want you to know that it is biblical and it is all right for a time in your life to be able to put down that guard all shield and for that moment to allow yourself what God wants for you which is to enjoy that intimacy with the Lord. Now, I want to be very quick. I will be sharing some ways that you can choose to demonstrate some of that intimacy and maybe develop some of that intimacy. But two things with that. First, I don't want to give you a shopping list of do's and don'ts, so it becomes some little list that you have to follow, so it becomes outward rather than inward. And then secondly, I want you to know that, and I'm speaking to all the men and even the younger guys in here for a second, you will express your intimacy with the Lord, if you're a Christian now, perhaps through your spiritual gift. Perhaps it'll be through your personality style. So how one man expresses intimacy to the Lord may be different than another man. Only you know, authentically, how close in a relationship that you have with the Lord so it's a real intimate relationship with not only the words of Scripture, but Christ of Scripture. So it's not just connection to some orthodoxy. But it's a connection to the Lord Jesus Christ. So I am praying primarily for myself that I too would have that closeness so I could in some measure model it through whoever I am. And I'm not the last word and I'm not the only model. But at the same time to help you men not to lose the connection to this truth about being intimate. Now, the last I'll say before I get into this, and that is some of you ladies, there could be in here or listening on radio or downloading this sermon, that you too may have struggled with intimacy with God. You grew up in a home that was never touchy-feely. You never knew anything about that. So your whole world is nothing but task, goal-setting, objectives, get the job done, get it done right, standard of excellence, and you have a hard time relating, relating with people today, relating to relationships in your life. And if you struggle with that, it could also be that you might struggle with an intimate relationship with the Lord. Does that mean that the men or the women that have that propensity is, would be doomed? The answer is no, we don't have to be doomed. Now, as we launch into our passage today, I would like to now speak to those that are new on their journey with Scripture. I'm going to be going through a passage that was written by a gentleman that we know of David. Now, most everybody have heard of David. He even sung about this morning with Eric. But for those of you that don't know, let me tell you something about David. David, even as a young boy, he tended sheep. Now allow your own mind to understand what would it be like if you were taken, put out into a field pretty much by yourself to protect the sheep upon which you had to depend on those sheep to provide food and clothing and resources for your family and you were a boy all alone out in a field with whatever elements you might face. That's what David was even as a young guy. So kids, especially the boys... Listen to that for a moment. Then while he was out there, I'm not exactly sure what age, but I'm sure that he was young, he encountered a bear, an element of an enemy that came into his life and he had to protect those sheep. And so he put himself in harm's way as a man's boy, we might say, a rough and tumble kid to do that. He grew up then and as you know, as he became older, he saw the enemy that was facing all the children of Israel. And at the same time, he faced that enemy in the confidence of the Lord And then he reached out to that enemy, slayed the enemy, and then he became a leader. I'm fast forwarding through that story. And so as he became a leader, he became a leader over time in two areas. A leader in the area of being a political leader. Now think about what it would be like to lead the entire children of Israel and to protect them against all the other enemies who hated Israel. Now it's hard enough to be maybe President of the United States, but how would you like to be President of Israel? He was that. And then think that he would be fully responsible for all of the military personnel. And the kind of guys that he had were sometimes ragamuffins. So when I look at David now, here's a man who grew up at the same time a strong political leader. He was a strong military leader. So he was a man's man, rough and tough, hard to diaper kind of guy. Now in the midst of all of that, there was another part of him, which I think could be similarly to some of you men. There was a part of him that was a musician. Now that doesn't mean you're a musician, but there was a softer side of him. So he would write, he would sing, and he had some type of upbringing that focused on God even as a little child. And so he knew the Lord. So you had a perfect balance between being someone who was rough and tough and someone who happened to be tender. And I might say it this way, someone who would be blue denim and in a proper sense, a little bit of lace. And that was David. Now you're probably asking, why am I talking about all of that? Because I wanted you to see, especially you men, that what we're about to read is written by a man's man. A man who wasn't afraid to tackle the elements, to tackle the politics in government. Wasn't afraid to face down the enemy, often with other men who are as strong and as sometimes maybe ruthless as he was. And yet he could write these words. So the words you're about to to learn and listen to are words of a tenderness toward the Lord that he had. Which now tells me, that whatever your background would be, men, whether you're a mechanic or a carpenter or whether you work in the rough and tough world of a profession out there, that you can still have a tender time and an intimacy with God. And so I want to release you men to say it is okay for that moment of softness with the Lord because I believe if you stay with me through this sermon that you're going to see that at the beginning more verses are speaking on his intimacy with God but that it ended in a leadership statement he made to others. And I believe that intimacy is what fueled his outreach and his effectiveness as a man's man. Now, ladies, this is not to leave you out because all the scripture is for us to embrace. But I wanted you to know that it was a man's man who wrote these very tender words. And might I quickly say, he wrote more of the Bible than anyone else. The Psalms, which was a songbook of tenderness of his love to the Lord. Oh, there are some in there, the imprecatory Psalms, you know, got some judgment out. But it was still from a heart. Turn toward God. So men, we can do it without being namby-pamby. In fact, I think that's probably the only way we'll be a true man in a proper intimacy with God. So let's look at it together. Let's see where it begins. David begins this psalm by confirming two things. First of all, who he is and who God is to him. And so I'm going to read these verses to you. It would read like this. And remember David, the man's man, wrote this. He said, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear, though war may rise against me. In this I will be confident. Now, what do we see he is in here? Now, I'm going to read between the lines, but if you would read this, you're going to hear such things as, Who should I be afraid of? If I stumble and fall, my heart shall not have fear. When I read that, and I'm not trying to psychoanalyze David here, but when he speaks so much about stumbling and falling, which means he's now in a down position so his enemies can trample him, and he's talking about he won't have any fear, I believe that if there was a low point with David's characteristic, it would be that he tended to be fearful. Now, I don't know if you are experiencing that in your life, but maybe you have an avalanche of anxiety, and you're fearful about all sorts of stuff. Now, these enemies are physical enemies. We could talk about these are terrorists coming after Israel. Then, then when they attack Israel, then the Israelites could attack David in the sense, what kind of a leader are you? you supposed to protect us, are supposed to provide for us. So his enemies could be from without and within. So he had enemies all around him, and he was fearful of that. So what he did was say, I'm humble. I'm willing to admit I'm scared. I am, I am afraid. I can't make it work. Now some men, if we put this in today's language and we take it out of scripture, it might read like this: "My resources are my salvation. Oh, my portfolio is my salvation. My finances are my salvation. my skill set. It's my salvation. And the strength of my life happens to be my network and my friends who said they'd support me. So whom shall I be afraid? And so what I would like to say for men here for a moment, it is good to have these things. And yes, there are practical tools of life. But when we totally rely upon them, God will allow those things to fail us. They then will become the things that really will be our demise because he wants us to know that our full strength and success in life is going to come from him. So now it reads this way. The Lord, he's my light and he's my salvation. Whom shall I fear? So now we're into who is God to him? His light, his salvation, his strength. And so he says at the end of all of this, in this will I be confident. Now men, whether you intellectually engage in this to know that this is who he is doctrinally, that's the first probably best step to go. But if you leave it right there, you're gonna miss something that is so much richer than just mere doctrine. Now what you have to realize, He is your light. He is your life. He is a real person, not a wispy power source that, that exists. And He loves you. And this would be Him and who He is. All of that is your confidence. So with that, men... When you face the enemies of life, whatever they might be, whether it's finances or your fitness or family members or your friends or you do have foes in your life, whatever it might be, those enemies, I want you to know, you can hold your head up high and be strong. Now that's coming because he has a bit of intimacy with the Lord. Now let's observe some things about his intimacy as we go a little bit further in here. Let's look at verse 4. Here's number 1 in your little outline. We're going to observe the fact that he was one who was seeking God. He sought God. He sought God. Now I would like you to just think about those two words. He sought God. I might ask you, and I'm going to be preaching on that concept a lot because I believe that that is really our first step in our intimacy, is I need God I am now realizing a man's man will go after God and I'm going to seek him above all else because out of him and from him will give me the results to be an effective man in any role I might play. Now let's go back to that. He sought God. Let's read it. One thing have I desired of the Lord and I will seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. And then it says to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. And we'll stop there for a moment. Now, it is okay for us to think, I look forward to the time that I will be in heaven. Remember, the temple wasn't built by the time this was written yet. So we know that he could be talking about a local establishment, tabernacle thing. But it says all the days of my life, so listen carefully. Men, it would be, now we're not so much seeking a unique place where God will be. In other words, I want to go to Ala Moana Beach or Magic Island early in the morning because I'll meet God there. I want to be able to sit in my truck and close up the windows, put the air conditioning on, and I'm going to meet God there. That's my place to meet God. We want to meet God wherever we are. True, there are distractionless environments, but there is that place that we can say, I want to be with God. I want to dwell with Him intimately wherever I might go. Now for some of you, and particularly you young people, I'd like you to listen, especially you teenagers, for just a second. Um, I I was different than you, and I'm not using me as the pure model and only model, but I was different than you, the teens that are in our churches, because I trusted Christ when I was 16. Most of you probably trusted Christ as your Savior when you are about six or maybe around that age, given to take a few years, and let's not get hung up on that, other than the fact I was a little bit older. When I came to know Christ as my Savior, I immediately, in a sense, fell in love with Him the best as my little infant Christian mind could fall in love with the Lord. And from that moment of trusting Christ, I wanted to tell everybody about it. I went to school, I started telling my friends, and my very first person that I encountered on the school campus told me, Where are you going to go when you die? I said, I'm going to heaven because Jesus died for my sins. He said, Where are you going? I said, I'm going to heaven. And he said, where is heaven? Now, they didn't cover all that in my first little gospel message. I said, well, well, it's up there. And he said, well, couldn't it be down there? And, and is it the third dimension? Maybe it's the fourth dimension. And then he walked away. I had so many questions after that. I began to doubt everything. And I had to keep going back. I'm going to tell you, if it wasn't that I had a loving person in my life that was patient with me, watch this, but stayed vitally connected to my growth, tracking my progress. It is quite possible that I could have fallen in love with Christ by 16, realized that I did that by 18, and grown cold for God by 17, and could be out there in the world today knowing something about Christianity. I might have trusted Christ. Who knows where I would be today? Here's my encouragement to you. I would like you young people to lean into this series so much, that you say right now, particularly you, you, you young men, that you want to have an intimate relationship with Christ with all of your heart, regardless of, watch this, the relationship style your friends have. Are you still with me? I'm going to say something really hard now. Sometimes, to have an intimate walk with God that is biblical, that you have with the Lord, not just Christian life and doing stuff, with the Lord, even beyond maybe the style that your mom and dad might model. I'm not condemning them. But I want you to know they're still wrapped in flesh and they may fail occasionally, rarely, but they might. So don't go off when they go off. You stay rock solid in your intimacy. And so like David, you can say, I want to dwell in the presence of the Lord all the days of my life. Not just when I die, I want to be in His presence. I want to be in His presence right today on the soccer field. I want to be in His presence right today while I'm at school. Right today When I'm in my room and I'm tempted to go online and do something and see something I shouldn't. I want to be in His presence every moment. And I want to have that intimacy. That will carry you through the days when you feel all alone. All right, The seeking of God. And then it talks about to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple if you don't mind, I'm going to speak to the uh, you ladies. I hope I'm not leaving you out. I don't think I am. I think you're tracking with me. But please don't wake up your husband and say, are you listening to him right now? It's for you too, okay? When you read the words, to behold his beauty and inquire of all of that, most men, that's really hard for us to follow. But if you look at it this way, if in fact you are particularly drawn to a sports team, you have a favorite sports team. When you open up the newspaper, you often will look for the sports scores of your team and the players. When you go, you want to make sure you're hearing. every time you hear a player or a coach or something going on with your team in and out of season, you're right there. You can see Hawaii is green in almost everything. And my point is simply this. You are beholding the beauty of the Warriors. You're holding in your heart the beauty of whatever the team. Now, I can make a big issue, and you're worshiping all of that, and I'm not going there with that. Here's where I want to go. If you can look at those things in your life and seek after them for those things, cannot you shift the object of the same beholding and seeking and put it upon the Lord Jesus Christ? Could not you do that? Should not you do that? And the answer for us men is true. And you think, well, pastor, you're, you're in another world. There are certain things that light my fire. I love reading stuff on leadership. I love going through and finding things that hit where I like, my likes. But I have to be very careful that the candy stick in my life is Jesus Christ. If not, it's very easy for them to become competitive. And it becomes especially easy for Satan then to use those good things in life to draw me away from the greatest thing in life, that now this good thing will become a horrible thing. All right, here's the second observation we get from this passage of his intimacy with the Lord. It would be worshiping God. Now, that's a hard term to use. I mean, everybody worships. Some people, when they hear worship, they think music. Some people, when they hear the word worship, they think a praise song. Some people, when they hear the word worship, they think become a monk somewhere. I, I don't know, and I'm using that word here in my language, but let's now look at it in scripture. He goes on to say, For in the time of trouble, he, referring to the Lord, shall hide me in his pavilion. If you have your pen, especially you guys, will you underline the word, he shall. If you're looking for the right network guy in your life, it's going to be the Lord. He shall do something for you. If you need someone to watch your back, it's going to be the Lord. He shall, look what he does now, hide me in his pavilion. Which means nobody can get you. Have you ever played hide and seek and you wanted to win? You tried to hide as, as much as you could away from all of the kids who were trying to get you. Well, right now, he will hide you. In the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. He shall set me up high upon a rock. When you're on a rock, you can look down in your enemies and the arrows fly better and faster, more accurately going down than trying to shoot it up against gravity. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And notice the last in bold. Therefore, because of who he is and what he chooses to do in my life, I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Well, I don't know what your outward expression is, but I know this, and guys, I'm with you. I like sports. I'm sorry my longhorn's lost. You know, glad my Cowboys won. All right. But here's where I'm going with that. Listen carefully. I can cheer. I can really cheer. I heard of a lady who was very quiet. Sorry about this, guys. A lady illustration here. She was real quiet, real shy, and she went to what was known as a Georgia Bulldog, University of Georgia football game. And if you've ever watched University of Georgia, the Bulldogs, when they play, she's sitting around looking at everybody going nuts.